quick little bumper there. We are glad that you're here with us today. Let's open with the word of prayer. I think we could use that, right? Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you are with us, that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you've given us ears to hear today. Your word planted into our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. A quick shout out to everyone watching online. Glad you're here with us. Also, to the men and women in the Pulaski County Jail, you guys mean a lot to us. We pray for you every day. And uh, to everybody here in this room, you matter too. Yeah, I'm, I bet you're glad to know that. So, um, okay, today we're starting this new sermon series, just like Pastor Glenn said, how I wreck, help I wreck my life. And uh, we've all been there. We've all made mistakes before. We are not the kind of church that says you've never made a mistake, that no mistakes were made. Mistakes have been made. They're probably going to be made. So we want to talk about what to do when those mistakes are made. One of my favorite things about the Bible is how honest it is. If I was writing a book of the Bible, I'm not sure I would put in all the stuff of the mistakes that I made, right? If I was like 1 Samuel, you know, if you, Samuel wrote 2nd Samuel, and he put where he kind of blew it in this way, and his sons didn't do so good, I don't know, I'd kind of clean it up a little bit. So it looked like, that guy's a righteous dude, man. <laughs> No, one of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is. These people put in there their actual mistakes, the things they didn't do right. Why? Because we can learn a lot from the mistakes. Mistakes are actually valuable. If you just heard somebody's perfect in every way, you don't really grow from that. We grow from our mistakes. So uh, today we're going to be looking at David. So let's start with who David was. First off, David was a little shepherd boy in the city of Bethlehem. The same city, of course, Jesus was born in years later. And so David, as a little boy, he was a little shepherd boy. He was out spending time with God, out in those fields with those sheep. Well, there was a king at the time, uh, the first king of Israel named Saul. Saul started out good, but he ended up being very selfish. You know, power and money has a way of kind of taking somebody and spinning them in the wrong direction if they're not careful. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. He got spun in the wrong direction. So we got this king of Israel, and God says, uh, you know, you're too selfish. I'm going to make a new king. I'm going to anoint a new king. Now, the prophet at the time, his name was Samuel. So God tells Samuel, all right, I'm going to tell you who to anoint as the new king of Israel. Cool. So he goes out. He says it's going to be someone from the family of Jesse. So Samuel, the prophet, shows up at Jesse's house says, bring out your boys. One of them is going to be the next king. And he's like, oh, cool. So he brings them all out. And in my mind, I kind of have them, you know, they're different ages, but I kind of have them like stutter stepped, right? Like a Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> and uh, he brings them all out there and there's Eliab and there's, and he's like, no, not him. No, God says, no, not him, not him. And they go through all the sons and God says, none of those are the one. It's like, well, and, and the prophet asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? Yeah, I got this loser. We actually didn't even bring him out here because I didn't think it possibly could be him. I'm, that's my own translation, but I mean, when, when you're not the one brought out and there's like eight others and you're not the one brought out, that is not a compliment, right? We got him out watching the sheep. Yeah, man, you, got the, you thought I saw you had a dysfunctional family, man. So, okay, so... 
go bring him in. So they bring in like, I must, I don't know, the prophet wants to see you. Well, it's David. They bring him in. God says, this is the one. Now you got to fast forward a few years because it was not immediate once he was anointed. That's a whole nother sermon, by the way. Once he was anointed, his calling did not show up right away. You fast forward a few years and you have a giant by the name of Goliath. And Goliath shows up on the scene and no one wants to fight Goliath. And David's just courageous enough to do so. So David says, all right, I'll fight Goliath. Goes out there with the sling and a stone. You know the story. Giant goes down. He beheads the giant. He goes from a nobody to a somebody. And immediately, King Saul and the uh, commanders of the army put David as an important leader. It's like a general type person. Well, Saul because of this power and money and the hunger and insecurities in his life, Saul begins to hate and, and per- persecute David because he's jealous of him. Well, there's a kind of a thing happens, kind of a, actually kind of almost a civil war, and uh, Dave, Saul is pursuing David, and Saul then dies on a battlefield against some Philistines, and David is then the king. At about the age of 30, he becomes king. Now fast forward again, about 20 years, he's been king for a while, and that brings us to our story today where David wrecks his life. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, at that Joab would have been like the secretary of defense. He's the, the, the military commander for the, all the armies of Israel. So David sent the commander and the Israelites' army to fight the Ammonites. Now, they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, sometimes you get a little orderly, you need one of these, okay. (laughs) David got out of the bed, was walking out on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. That's the story we're doing today. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David should have gone back to bed, but instead he sent messengers to get her. And when she came to her palace, he slept with her. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, uh oh, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. I like that, by the way, the way that's phrased in the Bible. I'm pregnant. You know, like, there's a lot said right there just in that quote, right? <laughs> so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, that commander, and gave, it to, uh, and gave it to Uriah to deliver. And so the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So the letter was like, okay. I got to deal with this Uriah guy. I got to get him out of the way. I know what I'll do. Joab, put Uriah way out there. Make him the, the, the tip of the spear. And then everybody else kind of pulls back a little bit. And then he'll die on the battlefield. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. It, it did kill Uriah. And verse 27, when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her, brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. She gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased. That is an understatement. <laughs> with what David had done. 2 Samuel 12, 1, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to, this, to tell David this story. Okay, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. Nathan the prophet shows up. 
No one knows what's happened, really. Joab knows. Not a lot of people know. God sends Nathan the prophet. Now, Nathan and David were friends. And Nathan was uh, an important prophet in the nation of Israel. And the story goes something like this, and you can read it in your time here, but it goes something like, there's two guys. There's a really rich guy that has like a thousand sheep, and there's a really poor guy that's got one little sheep. And the rich guy with a thousand sheep took the sheep from the little guy that only had one sheep, and then what would you do? Nathan's asked, what would you do, David, to the man who stole that one sheep from the other man? And David was like, I'd ring him up. I'd hurt him so bad. And then there's a great quote, especially in the King James, you are the man. Yeah, not, not you the man, but like you are the man. So Nathan exposes David's situation here. Um, verse 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for your sin. Uh, he was a bit, if he would not have uh, repented in such a way, I do believe it's, it's connotated here that he would have died because of the sin. All right. First off, some preventative medicine. We need to say no to life-wrecking mistakes before they happen. Verse 1, in the spring of the year when the kings normally go out to war. Before. So we can stop a lot of the life-wrecking stuff on the front side. Now, the verse 1 says David should have been out going to war, and instead he's taking a nap in Jerusalem. If we, one of the best ways to circumvent not wrecking our lives is be on the mission that God's called us to be on. Guys, if we stay on the mission God's called us to stay on, we're going to find ourselves with no time to do uh, other sinful stuff. But if we reject the mission God's got for us, we don't wake up every morning saying, come on, God, I, I need to do what you've told me to do. If instead we just go about our own lives, we're going to find ourselves on a rooftop. What is the idol's hands or the devil's playthings, right? I don't know what to do. I'll find something to do. We got to stay on the mission from, from, from God. Now, sins happen, okay? Mistakes happen. Primarily, this mistake happened because David was thinking about himself. You know, when he saw Bathsheba there, he was thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about her. Actually, he put Bathsheba in a really difficult position. Because he says, oh, come on over to the house. She's like, okay, uh, it's the palace. You weren't allowed to say no to the king's order. But she also knew that she was doing something wrong. I'm trying to say it all sanitized for everybody, right? So he, David put her, because of David's selfishness, because of David's self-focus, he put her in a really terrible situation. And guess what? He didn't care. He was rolling right over her. How about Uriah? Boy, he really did him bad. His selfishness killed Uriah. His selfishness murdered Uriah. But guess what? David didn't care. See, David should have run from this temptation. He should have been up on that. Actually, he should have been off to war. And if he's even up on that hill, up on that top, he should have just looked down at him and like, whoa, hey, uh, let's go pray. Who's around? Let's go. Let's do a little worship stuff or something because I don't, I don't need that. Guys, sometimes you see stuff or a thought goes in your brain that that's not, maybe it was even accidental. It's what we do after that moment that's critical. Whether we entertain this thing or we shut it down. You know, uh, I love to watch videos online specifically of people, uh, you know, kind of accidentally hurting themselves. Those are my favorite. 
one of them I just saw was a guy, and he was, they put, you know, it's one of those, like, young men. They, I guess they're bored. They put their friend in a big, a big uh, tire, like one of those ones for, like, a tractor or something like that, and they're at the top of the hill, you know, and they're like, off they roll. Well, the first couple wasn't bad. The first eight to ten feet wasn't too bad. It was 300 feet down when that dude, he was really catching some speed, right? Started out like zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you don't find this stuff entertaining? Anyway, okay. I do. But if we stop it at the top of the hill, it's better than we've caught all this momentum at the bottom of the hill. This sin kept growing and growing and growing and growing in his life because he didn't deal with it at the top of the hill. May we all and listen to the Spirit of God and, and realize it's better to stop these things at the top of the hill than at the bottom of the hill. Okay. Now, this sermon is not help me so I don't wreck my life. It's help I have wrecked my life. So let's go into some things we can do. Number two, a teachable heart keeps us from wrecking our lives. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Oh, we need this now more than ever. You know, we've got situations happening in Israel. We've got situations happening all over the world. These are really interesting times we live in. The enemy is at work and God is at work. But you know what's shocking to me? How few people have ears to hear what God is actually saying and doing. Now, Nathan was sent by God. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He was there to help him, to teach him. You know, God has sent, if I look back on my life, and I'm guessing it's true for you, God has sent someone before every mistake we've made, God sent someone there to say, whoa, back off, man, that's not good. God sends somebody. Somehow we know that there was a way, you know, you're close to the cliff here. The cliff, the edge is right here. Don't go, out, don't go past that edge. The key is, the problem is, we don't have spiritual ears to hear. We just keep rolling with it. May we have a teachable heart. May we have an open heart to say, okay, God, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. Our whole society right now is screaming. And there's a few, may we be those people that have spiritual ears to hear what God is actually saying. Most people, thank you. (laughs) Most people, they're just living their lives. If it doesn't affect them, if it doesn't have to do with their exact, their exact happiness, at this moment, they're not paying attention. Let's be the people that are paying attention. A teachable heart. See, guys, we need to lean into the, the discipline instead of away from it. Those people that are speaking truth to us, we need to lean into it, not away from it. It never feels fun when someone says, you're close to a cliff, you ought to change, you ought to stop what you're doing. No one's like, oh, that feels so good, thank you. Can I have another one? Of course it doesn't feel, but you know what? It feels a whole lot better than wrecking your life. Amen. We just got to be wise enough to know the correction feels not so good. The wrecking our life feels really, really bad. So lean into the voices that are speaking truth to you, the people around you, the mentor types, the people around you that are speaking truth to you, especially if the Lord's sending them and they're speaking uh, life and truth, lean into that, don't lean away, because they're really just trying to help us. But most people lean away from it. Start speaking truth to them, they out. They, you know, they, they break off the relationship. As soon as you start speaking truth to them, guys, I can't tell you how many times I've lost 
church people because I spoke truth to them. Even, even with prefacing it, I'm speaking this because I love you. I'm out. We got to make sure that we are the kind of people that have ears to hear what God is trying to say. Because the days are at a place where we, we must hear. It's not that we should hear anymore. We must hear if we're going to get where God wants us to be. Okay. Now we need to own our life-wrecking mistakes. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. We got to own it, guys. I like how David didn't make any excuses. He, when, it, when it finally came down to it, he just owned it. May we be the people that own it. Because he could have defended it. If I was king, it had been something like, listen, it's hard being king. Don't I get a little time where I can go take a nap? And I, do I have to go to war every single year? I'm old now. I don't want to go to war no more. Everybody needs to back off me and give me a little spate. That would have been something like I would have said, right? I would have had all kinds of excuses. Uriah, I mean, I did him a favor. I put Uriah right. I gave him a chance to be a hero. It's not my fault he died. <laughs> yes, it is. But we all have these excuses, right? It's not my fault Bathsheba was out there doing that. I mean, she's tempting me. That's the kind of stuff. Guys, we have these little lawyers in our hearts and minds, and they are terrific. Better than O.J. Simpson could have ever wished for. And these little lawyers are lying to us. It's not your fault. You're fine. If they would have just, if they would have just, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Guys, we need to realize those lawyers, that little defensive thing inside of our heart and mind is not helping us. It's not helping us become who God wants us to be. No, we got to own it. I've made a mistake. Guys, if we're going to turn this thing around, we're going to have to own it. David's situation began to turn around when he owned it. When he finally just said, I have sinned against the Lord. That's when the whole situation, instead of turning actually to the point where he was going to die for this sin, it started to spin the other way when we own it. May we all just own it. The more we defend it, the more we're going to just follow ourselves rolling down that hill. We, we stop the negative momentum when we own it. Praise the Lord. Let's own it. Just say, okay, I made this mistake. Okay, it's where I'm at. Look, we all have weaknesses. You have them. I have them. David had them. Everybody, everybody but Jesus has weaknesses. Okay, to own those weaknesses. Tell somebody about them. Now, I don't encourage you to tell everybody about your weaknesses, but you should tell somebody about your weaknesses. You shouldn't have, you, you, there should be a couple of trusted Christians that know everything and, and that's it. Though this is not the church where you stand up here and say, spill out all your stuff. Let's not do that. Amen. But let's also be not the church where you have all these issues inside your heart, but you're not telling anybody and you're not getting the prayer and the time that you need. There's a, that's an important thing. Now, there are still consequences to our actions. Okay, this is a picture here from, oh, brother, where art thou? One of my favorite movies. This guy, uh, they've, they've run, if you don't know the movie, they're, they're running from the law, and they've escaped out of prison, and one of the brothers here, he sees there's people getting baptized down in the river, so he runs down there, and he basically cuts in the line and gets baptized, and he's like, I'm good now. I'm forgiven. Basically, the cops aren't going to get me now because I've been baptized. 
I'm pure and I'm white and I'm forgiven. Yes, but the police are still going to get you. Okay, so yes, you are forgiven. By the way, every single, every single sin, no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven for. Take it to Christ. But there are still consequences for those actions. And there were consequences in David's life. There will be consequences in our life. That's just how it rolls. But even in those consequences, don't be too discouraged because God works in the midst of the consequences. You know that? He works in the midst. Yes, there are consequences, but God still works in those consequences. In this particular case, you have David and now Bathsheba. Well, one of the sons of David and Bathsheba ends up being Solomon. Solomon is the next king of Israel. Solomon writes the vast majority of the book of Proverbs. He's one of the Bible authors came from this particular situation. See, when we own it and we hand it to the Lord, God then can begin to use it and turn it around so it's something that is a, that's a blessing. That's how, matter of fact, you keep, you keep on going. Not just Solomon came from it. Jesus comes from the line of Solomon and David. You, we got Jesus from this mistake. But the key is, it's got to be surrendered. A willfully surrendered. God can only go, listen, prayer is so critical because it opens the door into the places in our life so God can work. We have the gate keys. We get to say, God, you can work in my life. Every single person could be saved. Every person on the planet, all 8 billion people could be saved. But why are they not saved? Because they have to open the heart and say, God, come into my life and be the leader and forgiver of my sins. Amen. See, the, the gate keys are in our hands. God, come into this part of my life and turn this thing around. Now, do you guys remember, maybe you're old enough to remember Daryl Strawberry? Rookie of the year, eight-time All-Star, won the World Series four times. This guy was a legend. But guess what? Things did not go well for Daryl Strawberry. At the age of 13, he started drinking and smoking marijuana. He was in the minor leagues, went into the major leagues. At about that time, he went from the minor league drugs to the major league drugs. Particularly cocaine was the one that, that Daryl Strawberry used. And if you look at it, he was just... He would do great and then go into rehab, do great, go into rehab, and it was just this cycle. At about the year 2002, finally, Daryl Strawberry uh, was told to go into rehab. He didn't go into rehab. It was part of his sentence. He didn't show up for the sentence. He did 18 months in jail. He finally hit rock bottom. Once he hit rock bottom, he got saved. He turned his life to Christ. At that point, see, he owned it, and everything began to turn around. He owned it, he surrendered it, and everything began to be turned around. Now, Daryl Strawberry becomes a Christian. Now, fast forward now exactly 20, 21 years now. Daryl Strawberry's a pastor. He's got a church. He started a church. Not only that, he preaches all over the place. Not only that, he started a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center to help people get the word of God in their life so they don't continue to make these same mistakes. Look how God took a situation and flipped it around, turned it around. I mean, he wrecked his life. He was the best. And then everybody's like, oh, Daryl Strawberry, that guy. And now look, because he turned it over to Christ, everything's now turned around for his life as well. You see, don't let your mistakes define you. 
This is the story, uh, you guys remember the Scarlet Letter, about the only book I actually read in high school because I was forced to. Um, in the story, The Scarlet Letter, Hester Prynne is the main uh, character, and she makes this mistake. She commits adultery. She's got this child from this adultery. And this Puritan culture, it's a fictional book, but it's set in a historical time setting of the Puritan colonial times. And that Puritan culture, they were so judgmental, and they were so aggressive about judging her. They made her wear this Scarlet Letter all the time. But you know what? She... She began to do the right things. Hester Prynne made a lot of, actually, she made a lot of very, very good decisions. And at the end of her life, the whole town, the whole community even said, that truly is a righteous woman. And that scarlet letter they made her wear, see, that was the identity that they tried to put on her, but she refused to make it her identity. See, people will try to do that to you. They'll try to put this identity the sins, the devil will try to place this and just sear this identity. Whatever the letter is for your mistake, this is who you are. It's burned onto your soul. No, no, no. What does the Bible say about your identity? You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're precious. You're important. God loves you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. That if there's breath in your lungs, there is still purpose in your life. That's what God says. And we've got to embrace the identity that God says instead of the identity of one mistake or a few mistakes we've made. Don't let any community or any... They, now, whether they see the A, the scarlet letter on you or not, doesn't matter. It matters what we see within ourselves. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he was a, he was a murderer. He was a Christian persecutor. He martyred Stephen. But you know, if you take the letters of Paul and you put them in chronological order, the first writings talk about his mistakes and the sins he committed. When you get to some of his last letters, he says, I have wronged no man. Well, that's officially not true. Stephen would have said, uh, you wronged me, bro, when you murdered me. But do you see how his identity, his, his forgiveness inside his own heart his understanding of the righteousness that God had placed in his life was so solid that it became to the point where he said, I, the new person that I am, has wronged nobody. That old person, yeah, there's all kinds of scarlet letters on that person, but who I am right now is totally different and surrendered to Christ alone. You know, in my life, I uh, was a PK, pastor's kid. My dad's a preacher. I've got PKs. One of the things about being a PK that I found, and I didn't realize it until just praying recently, was there was an identity that was kind of impressed into my heart and life, and it was something along the lines of, don't be too loud about your faith, kind of sit down and shut up. I was made fun of. You know, the, the, this, my father, the pastor and pioneer of our church was Herb Hyatt, so they called everybody that went to this church a Herbite. It's kind of a dumb name, by the way. Find a better one, please. You know, so I'm a herbite, and that, 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 and in that little environment, it got to me a little bit. And only realizing recently, this in times of prayer, that you know what, in my heart, hmm, I have been reluctant to speak the truth at the level I need to speak it because of this little piece of my identity that's been scarred. What will people say? Will they accept me? 
if I speak the truth on the degree that I need to speak it. So you know what I did? <laughs> Tried my best to put into practice what I've taught you today. Own it. Own it. All right, I'm going to speak the truth. Forgive me, Lord, for not speaking exactly what you want me to say. Also, don't take the identity of the past, but take the identity that God wants to put in my life, which is the new identity, which says, okay, God, you've told me to speak your word. Let me do it, Lord, with clarity and with love, and may, it, may, may I let the chips fall where they may after I do it in love and speak it with clarity. Now, I'm growing. I'm saying all this to you so that we can all relate to each other. There's something that the enemy is trying to place on your life. Some mistake you probably made, something from your past. We've got to overcome them and receive the identity Christ has got for us. Let's look at our application today. Lean into those things. Lean into those people who are speaking truth. Own it and refuse to let your past mistakes define you. Hey, those people that are speaking truth to you, lean into them. Don't, away, don't back away from them, even if they don't say it just right. Even if they don't say it just right. They don't have to always put the sugar on top. Oh, man, that was, that was some level truth, and then you all didn't receive it, so I don't know. Own it. Own it, guys. We've all made mistakes. Own those mistakes. Okay, God, this is where I'm at. Please forgive me and help me. And then number three, refuse to let your past mistakes define you. Don't. Don't let them. When the enemy starts to put those lies in your heart, start speaking what God has said you are. Man, even if you need to Google it, what does God say? I, and you'll find there's so many great scriptures about who God has made us, the real us inside of us. Lean into that identity, not the one that the world tries to place on your life. If I could have every head bowed, please, and every eye closed, we're going to pray right now. We've got a lot to pray about today. Those that are needing help getting over their past. Maybe those who, for whatever reason, you, you know, and I don't know, but you know that the heart of correction is not something that you easily open up to. That you don't like when, when things are said. And, well, man, we're just, it's just people trying to help us. Maybe there's a situation that God's trying to tell you today. I want to start spinning this the right way, but you got to own it. You got to own it. The freedom starts. It begins when we own it. Maybe you've realized the Holy Spirit has been at this service the entire time we've been here. And it's all been leading up to this spot right here. Why? Because God loves you. He loves you. And here we are at the, in the valley of decision. He loves you. He's not mad at you. David went on to be used by God in massive ways. He wrote Psalms. He wrote part of the Bible after this mistake. Guys, God's not, he just wants us to come to face to face with the situation so that he can do the soul surgery that needs to be done in our hearts. That's all this is about. You'll not find any judgment here. Just love and grace and spirit tearing some things out and putting some things in. Lord, we just uh, 
we just pray for those who who just need to uh, get over their past. Sometimes we can forgive everybody in the world except ourselves. And I just pray, Lord, that you help uh, whoever's listening to this that's having problem getting over their past. I pray that you just show them, convict them of the fact that they have forgiveness, not, not, of, not of the past sins, but that if they confess them, they have forgiveness and that they need to forgive themselves because the blood of Jesus is, is good enough to cleanse any sin. Looking at David's past, he was an adulterer and then he was a murderer to cover up being an adulterer, and yet you still forgave him. He looked like he wrecked his life, and yet you still ordered it and put it back on, on the right path. And Lord, I just pray also for um, for those people who need it, that they're open to correction, that they're open to hear from the Holy Spirit, whether it's through another person or whether through it's you directly, Lord, that you speak to their hearts and lives and, and set them in a path where they can get correction that they need. And when they hear, hear that correction, help them to have spiritual ears to hear so they know that correction is from you and not hear it as condemnation where it makes them want to give up and run further from you, but it's conviction that draws them and makes them turn to you and ends up drawing them closer to you than they were before. And I pray also, Lord, that you just help us all, all of us to understand who we truly are, that our righteousness is not based on us doing right or wrong. Our righteousness is based on what Jesus did in our lives. And I pray that you help us to do that. And because his blood was good enough to bring forgiveness and restoration, that covers any sin. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.